Welcome to Brad Tuttle Ministries Podcast, a place to be inspired and encouraged to live your life all out for Christ. Here are your podcast hosts, Brad and Jana Tuttle. Welcome, everybody, to Harvest Life 101. This is class number three of five classes. I am Pastor Brad Tuttle, Senior Pastor here at the Harvest Church International, and I'm going to be teaching on the subject of when you stumble. In class number one, we discussed conversion, uh, what it means to be converted, how that takes place. Class number two, we discussed a change, that there should be a change that takes place in our life as a believer when we're converted and we come to Christ and Christ takes over our life, that there should be a, you know, a visible change. There should be, we begin to display the fruit of the Spirit that we talked about. Um, When you become a Christian, you know, we learn that we died with Christ to our old life. We're raised to a brand new kind of life. There's a new life of discipleship. We learn that we must submit our will to God's holy and His perfect will. Instead of trying to do everything our way now, we want to do it God's way. Our our life um, should have started to show fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. In Galatians uh, chapter 5, verse 22, this new life of fruitful discipleship, we, we realize and have learned that it's not automatic. Uh, God is at work. He desires to help us make those uh, changes in our lives and make them a reality, but he will not force his desires upon us or against our will. It's up to us to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and to take the next step. And we must agree that we want those desires. We want to walk in his love. We want to walk in his peace. We want to walk in his joy we need to learn to be obedient to his wishes. In other words, we must take that next step as it talks to, to us about in Romans 12, 1 and 2, to be obedient, to present our life as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable unto God, which is really just our, it says there, our reasonable service. But the thing about it is the bad news, unfortunately, is sometimes we do fail to take that next step. We act like we've not been changed in our conversions. Instead of love, there's anger that might develop into hate. Instead of having the joy of the Lord, there's a critical and a bitter spirit. Instead of peace, we might have anxiety and turmoil in our life. So there's that failure in of our choosing to not walk in the fruit. God is there to help us with it, won't push it on us, but we don't decide or choose to make that step of change. Um, and I don't mean to be a downer, but the excitement that, you know, we're going to have in our initial conversion, we need to know that there's going to be challenges that come. And if you have been a Christian any length of time in your life, if you're a new believer, you'll come to know this. If you've been saved longer than that, uh, any length of time, you know that there's always going to be challenges in life. And many may have already come. Um, so we've learned these things and it's important to understand that uh, we need to begin to make the changes and take the steps towards these changes. But what happens when we don't take these steps of obedience? What happens when we stumble and when we fall in our Christian walk? And this is 
a really important uh, class to learn and a really important thing to understand. And, and one of the ways I want to start off by doing that is to define three terms. And term number one that I want to talk about a little bit today is the term we, that's, that's called relativism. Uh, relativism describes the culture out of which you've just come, the world at large today. Um, it's a culture that denies the existence of absolute truth. It's a philosophy that there's nothing necessarily right, nothing necessarily wrong, that there's nothing really true or false, that everything is relative. That what's true for one person is not necessarily true for, for, for another person. What's true for me this morning may not necessarily be true for me this afternoon. Uh, the world has a word for this. It's called postmodern thinking. And again, that's pretty much the world at large. The Bible has a different word for it, and it's called rebellion against the authority of God. You see, you and I, as children of God, we believe that our Father is the Creator. And as the Creator, we believe that He has the right and the wisdom to determine truth. There is, there, there is absolute truth, and it's what God our Father and Creator decrees to be truth. In fact, we believe that God Himself is truth, and I say that with a capital T. God is the all-wise creator who determines what is true. He determines the rules, the guidelines, and he does it not to be a control freak, but he does it to to the, to the to better us. It's, it's for our best. Um, even if we disagree, he places these boundaries there to, to our advantage, to our benefit. Um, Psalm 16.11 uh, in this particular psalm, the psalmist understands this, and he says, speaking to God, You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So God lays out these guidelines in our life, and, and in that, in following those guidelines and in living according to God's rules and guidelines, we, we uh, walk in a fullness of joy um, and at our right hand will be pleasures forevermore so we are not relativists there is truth and we find the ultimate truth in God's word and this truth is determined by God the second term I want to bring up is the term sin and uh, sin at its most basic level is what we would call missing the mark now understand this is at its most basic level it's probably the easiest way to try to explain it at this very base level Imagine this. Imagine that there's an archer drawing his bow back and sighting down the arrow at his target, and he's sighting for the middle of the target. You all seen a a a, a, a a archery target before? It has the circles and the black one right in the middle. That's the bullseye. So he's sighting for the middle of the target, and that's his mark. He lets the arrow fly. The arrow, let's say, it misses the mark. Uh, that that at its most basic and fundamental level is what sin is. It's sin. Sin is missing the mark. He's shooting for the bullseye. That's the perfect truth. That's the place that it needs to go. That's where he desires for that arrow to go for the perfect bullseye. But he it, it goes other where it goes otherwise. It goes other places and somewhere still on the target, but not in the bullseye. That's missing the mark. That at, again at its most basic level is what sin is. In uh, what we're talking about today who establishes the mark who says that this is the middle of the bullseye who says this is where our lives are to aim well god does and he is our all wise all good creator and he says this is the middle 
this is the bullseye. This is where the arrow needs to land. Um, so we draw back the arrow of our lives and we shoot it. And sin is when the arrow doesn't hit the bullseye, but it goes aside. Uh, let me give you an example. For an example, what what is God's mark? Um, what is the middle of the bullseye as far as God is concerned regarding our tongue and the and the things that we speak? Where is the middle of the bullseye for our tongue that gets us into so much trouble? Well, let's look at Ephesians 4.29. It says this to us. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And it says in Ephesians 5.4, Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So in these verses, God shows us in this particular example where the middle of the bullseye is. He's saying, as far as your tongue is concerned, it's to be so full of grace and thanksgiving and is to be so busy building up one another that there simply is no room or time to tear another person down. So we know the middle of the bullseye, but what happens in our lives? Despite the fact that we truly do believe that God is all wise and all good, there are times when we say things like, no God, I know better than you, or maybe something like, your ways are not always the best, you're not always wise, this is just not the time to build up, to edify, or to extend grace. So what do we do? We gossip, we slander, and we hurt the other person. We destroy their reputation, we sow seeds of distrust and discontent. Let me tell you something, those are missing the bullseye and almost I, I'd say every believer has done it um, it can cause great damage the tongue uh, is talked about in the book of James uh, it can set a lot of things on fire but God has shown us the mark and has always given us the bullseye so sin is when we miss the mark when we fall short sin is simply missing the mark stumbling in our walk when we stumble in our walk that is sin. So that's in its most basic terminology. And, and that's not even getting into the fact of we serve a holy God and anything that we do that goes against the holiness of God would be, would be rendered as sin. So let's keep it to that most basic fundamental level that it's missing the mark. The third term I want to talk to you about is the term temptation or being enticed to sin. Let's say someone hurts you. Uh, and then this thought flits through, your, flits through your head to respond in anger. Well, there's a temptation there. Let's say you're a woman or you're a man, and, and, a, and a person of the opposite sex walks by you, and something inside you tells you to look her up and down or him up and down. Well, there's a temptation there. Understand that temptation itself is not sin. Temptation becomes sin when you yield to it. Sin, when you yield and respond in anger, that's sin. So you're tempted, someone hurts you, and this temptation uh, comes into your mind or flits through your head to respond in anger. If you don't carry it out, it can just be the aspect of temptation. You haven't stepped over into the area of sin yet, but when you yield and respond in anger, you've sinned. You sin when you let your eyes dwell. Let's say now on our other example of 
the person of the opposite sex comes by, it, it's the sin when you let your eyes dwell. You, to be very frank with you, when you undress that person in your mind, when you have a, a fantasy relationship with them, you now have stepped over from a temptation place to a place of sin. Uh, the thing about this is, is that we don't have to give in to temptation. Um, you know, there used to be a comedian many, many years ago when I was younger. I don't want to give away my age, but this will. Uh, his name was Flip Wilson, and he used to say this one line that everybody would laugh at. He'd say, the devil made me do it, and uh, got a lot of money out of that one line. Um, but the problem is, is that uh, the theology of that is absolutely, it's horrific. The devil made me do it. The devil can't make anybody do anything. Sin can't make us do something wrong. We need to understand that on the cross and in our conversion, the mastery of sin was completely broken in our lives. So although there's a flesh nature there with the propensity to want to sin, the mastery of it has been broken over our lives um, on the cross and in our conversion to Christ. So we no longer, literally, we no longer have to sin. It's still present, but its mastery, its domination, and its control was broken. And we don't have to give in to that temptation. And there are promises all the way through the Bible along these lines that we don't have to give in to that. Jesus told his disciples in John 16, 33, he said, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In other words, he conquered the world, he destroyed the absolute power of sin. And man, that's the Jesus that I serve. He's not some little um, mealy-mouthed little uh, man that walked on the face of the earth that had no power or strength like Hollywood and movies and the world and TV tries to portray him. But he was the one that overcame. He was victorious over sin. He was the great and mighty conqueror. Uh, in John, 1 John 4.4, 4, speaking of God, it says that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So we don't have to give in to sin. We don't have to sin. And we don't have to give in to temptation. The God who is in us, through the Holy Spirit, is greater than Satan and anything else that the world has. And what's inside of us has conquered what is outside of us. Satan simply can't make us sin. We sin because we want to. It's a choice of ours to step into sin, to let it go past temptation. I sin because I yield to temptation, but never am I made to sin, and neither are you. It's something that we choose to do. The most important promise along these lines is in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians 10.13, Paul tells them, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And then Paul continues with, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. In other words, your ability to resist temptation. But with the temptation, he says, he will also, he being God, will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. Notice that in, in these verses that Paul does not, um, he, he goes not to some inner strength that says, you know, when you get tempted, just gut it out, hang in there, you can fight it. That's not where Paul goes with his teaching us. He goes where all good theology will go. He goes initially to the character of God. And Paul says that God is faithful. God has made certain promises to us, and our sovereign God is 
so in control of the circumstances of our lives that he has promised he will never allow a temptation to come into our lives to which we have to yield. We will never have a temptation in which we don't also have some way by the power of God to resist. I mean, literally, in fact, our all-wise, all-good, all-loving, sovereign God says that in the middle or in the midst of temptation, there's going to be a way for us to move through it and to not yield. God is not going to keep us away from temptation, but he is going to be with us in the midst of it. And as we learn not to yield by the power of his spirit, we grow in our Christian walk. We never have to sin. We sin because we want to and we like it. We don't have to sin. We never have to give in to temptation. Um, and we got to realize that God is always on our side. So please understand that the God that we serve is a personal God. He's not at a distance. He is with us uh, at all times. And he's always on our side. And this joy and excitement that you're feeling now as a new Christian, it's real. And even if you are listening to this teaching and you are an older Christian, that feeling that you have as a believer is real. And there's victory in our walk as Christians. Um, a large part of that is because God is for us, not against us. God wants us to make it. And he, may, and he wants us to not yield to temptation. God does not want us to fail he does not want you to fail. And if anyone's listening, and maybe and I'll just interject something, a little sidebar here. Grew up in a family where people told you you can't make it, you're a failure, you're never going to make anything out of your life. Just know this, that the God that you now serve, who you are now a child of, does not want you to fail. He wants you to succeed. And he does not want you to yield to temptation. In fact, he wants us to not yield so badly that he's given of himself to us and his spirit lives in us. And that's how badly he wants us to win the battle, that he made a way for us to be converted and to now have the Holy Spirit of God live inside of us to help us win this battle on a daily basis. He's going to give us the desire to win the battle, and then he'll give us the ability to win it. So we're going to have desire to win it. We're going to have the desire to win it, and he's also going to give us the ability to win it. And Paul tells the Galatian church, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So if we listen to the Spirit, this beautiful gift that God has given us through our conversion of the gift of the Spirit, living inside of each and every one of us who are now converted and are living for Christ, if we listen to the Spirit and listen to what He says, capital H, what He says, and listen to the direction that He gives us and let His power be the power that helps us, we won't have to yield to temptation. And that's what's so awesome about serving God now. We have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us that gives us the ability and the power to overcome temptation and to not sin. Temptation is being enticed to sin. Again, it's not sin itself. And we don't have to give in to it and must understand that we have the power of the risen Christ inside of us to help us not yield to temptation. But what will we do when we stumble in sin or when we miss God's mark? This is a defining moment in your spiritual life. What you do when you stumble. And please understand that all of us will stumble. Um, none of us are going to walk through it perfect, but we're all going to stumble. Um, there's, But may I make a really emphatic point here? Um, 
if you don't get this part of your life as a Christian right, you'll be miserable the rest of your life. And there's nothing more miserable than a child of God who hangs on to sin. It, it, it's a very, again, it's a defining moment in your spiritual life when you determine and realize and, and understand how and what you do when you stumble in sin. What do you do when you miss God's mark? Let's talk about that. And man, is this important. What do you do when you stumble? So we've understood there, there, the world says there's no truth. We understand that God makes and God states truth. It's in his word and um, that there's temptation. We don't have to yield to that temptation, that there's sin. We don't have to yield to that sin. But what do we do when we stumble? Here we go. Number one, uh, first and foremost, you must confess your sin. If we don't get this right, right now, if we don't learn uh, what God has called us to do in the midst of sin, we're going to we're, we're going to absolutely live a miserable Christian life for the rest of our lives. I, I, I will guarantee that if you don't understand and grab a hold of this first point of confessing sin, the most miserable position in the world is to have a foot in both worlds. I call it straddling the fence and to be hanging on to the world and then hanging on to sin. It's a miserable place to be as a believer. It's, it's pathetic to see someone who's a child of God who possesses the power that raised Christ from the dead, um, the same power that's working in us, it's, it's, it's um, pathetic to see them hanging on to sin at the same time. This is, again, a defining moment for your spiritual life to know what you're going to do when you stumble and fall. So number one is confess your sin. The scripture's answer is very clear. What do you do when you stumble and fall? You confess. It's as simple as that. We confess our sin. All that confession is, is simply agreeing with God that we miss the mark. That's simply all it is. We're, we are agreeing with God. We say, God, you are 100% right, and I am 100% wrong. I know the middle of the mark is to have my tongue so filled with grace, understanding and love that there is no room to be critical. I blew it. I agree with you. I'm sorry. That's all confession is. It's admitting that you missed the mark, that God's right, and you're wrong. And one of the best known passages is in the book of 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, where John says to Christians, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're all going to stumble. We're all going to mess up. We're all going to sin. But it's what we do with it when we sin that is a defining moment of life and we need to learn to confess our sin. Um, there's a model of confession that's found in Psalms 51 uh, verses 1 through 4a and then 7 and then 10 through 12. Uh, it, it, it looks at the life of David. If confession of sin is a new thing for some of you that are listening to this, and it may be for some, I would encourage you to go to the middle of the Bible to the book of Psalms and look at this particular Psalm, Psalm 51. Um, it's a beautiful picture of what confession really is from a man who, when he messed up, really poured his heart out before God. Let me read some of the verses in Psalm 51, and, and you can start to get a feel of what real biblical confession looks like. This was David um, after his terrible transgression. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out, he says, my transgressions in Psalms 51, verse 1. Notice that David, who's the writer, knows that he doesn't deserve to be forgiven, so he appeals now to God's mercy in verse 2. 
Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Can you hear the, I mean, it's easy to read it, but can you imagine, can you hear the tone of voice he must have been using as he was crying out to God, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. He understands that forgiveness lies ultimately with God. And he goes on to say in verse 3, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, he says. All, you know, Although we sin against people, like David just said, all sin ultimately goes to the heart of God, and David knows that. And man, is that vital to know that when you sin, yeah, you sin against people, but ultimately you sin against God, and God is holy. He says in verse 7 to God, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. You see, he knows that in God, forgiveness is available. And in verse 10, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. That's verse 10. Those are beautiful, beautiful words. Again, can you imagine the tone of voice, the crying of his heart? It's not just reading words off a page, but understand when you read this, um, when you when you open up your Bible and read these words, try to really grasp the tone of his voice, the, the, the attitude of his heart when he cried out to God with these words. You know, I would encourage each person listening to this that if you were ever to find yourselves in a situation where you need to confess and the words that the words just don't come, I would say go find a Bible, fall on your knees, and crack it open to the middle, and just read Psalm 51 and say, God, may this be my heart, and may these be my words to you. Wow. So important to confess our sin, but to confess it with a heart that's broken, that understands you know what what is really happened and what's transpired it's not yet something that you do as a robotically it just comes out you know forgive me now but it needs to come from a heart and an attitude like david had it's powerful but the problem is that your tendency may be to do the exact opposite and and now i need to tell you this and it may not happen right now but as life continues it seems we will most a lot of times people most likely develop a tendency to do the exact opposite of psalms 51 and again, I, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but sin is sin, and it's been sin for centuries, and it doesn't change much because it's so effective the way it is. But our human tendency, otherwise known as our sinful tendency, is to do the exact opposite of what David does in Psalms 51. Sin is still present in our lives, isn't it? It's still there. Its mastery's been broken, but it's still there, nipping, biting, and chomping at our heels, because sin knows the power of confession. And sin knows that what confession unleashes in the merciful heart of God, sin knows that. So it whispers into our ears things like, make excuses, don't accept all the blame for what you did, or certainly you can find someone else to blame, or how about certainly it's not all your fault. See, sin whispers into our ears, our flesh whispers into our ears, and the reason it's so effective is that it's coming from the inside. And so we really hear the whispering of sin, the whispering of our fallen nature, of our flesh. Sin whispers, no, don't fully confess it. Just confess enough. 
so that you can avoid most of the circumstances. That's that sin nature. That's that flesh inside of us that still hangs around. These confessions are not deep and gut-wrenching as such things as we heard David say, God, against you I have sinned. I am wretched in my sin. I cannot believe that you will forgive me, but I do believe that you will forgive me. I am so, so sorry. Those are the kind of confessions that come from a heart, from a heart that's deeply um, sorry for what it's done. You know, how many times on our lips has there been that kind of confession? So often confession is just enough so that we can avoid the consequences of our sin. And, you know, of course, none of this is true confession. And none of this brings full forgiveness. And none of it brings cleansing. If it comes from this attitude and heart that's not truly sorry, only a Psalm 51 kind of confession brings full cleansing. So it's very practical advice. Um, And I would say get it over with. Confess early. Confess often and confess fully. Let me say it again. Some good practical advice. Confess early, confess often, and confess fully. And if not, you will damage your relationship with God on your side. Um, You're not telling God anything he doesn't already know. I'm telling you, at one o'clock in the morning, God knows your life. He hears from the deepest depth of your heart that whisper to him of confession. He hears it. He already knows it's there. He's just waiting for the confession. So what will you do when you stumble in sin and when you miss God's mark? Let's talk about point number two. You then, after you confess your sin, after you've confessed it, when you stumble in sin, you miss God's mark, you confess before God, one of those Psalms 51 type from your heart confessions. Number two, you receive his forgiveness. So when we confess our sin, what happens when we confess? When we, receive, well, when we confess our sins, we then receive his forgiveness. And we find that in 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins because of his very character of being a faithful and a just God, he absolutely commits himself, it says to us in his word right here, to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we confess our sins, he will be there to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How could God love a sinner like me? How could God really love someone who keeps on sinning? That's because God is faithful. He's a loving and an awesome father to all of you that are listening to this right now. You've been converted, but you're still going to mess up. But now you have a relationship with a great, great God, but a God who's your father. And when you confess your sin, he's faithful to forgive you. He is a faithful, faithful God. Um, So number two is receive his forgiveness. And number three is be cleansed. If you want to know what it's like to be cleansed, then go to Psalms 103. And this is another one of those model Psalms on confession. If you're caught in sin and you want to be forgiven and can't find the words, find Psalms 103 and read it as your own words. And I'm going to start in verse 8. It goes like this, Psalms 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. 
as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame, he remembers that we are but dust. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of confession. To pray it yourself, simply to say something like, Lord, be merciful and gracious to me. I know that you're a God who's slow to anger and you abound in steadfast love towards me today. I know that you will not always chide, nor will you keep your anger forever against me. You do not deal with me, Lord, according to my sins, nor repay me according to my iniquities. For, Lord God, as far as the high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your steadfast love towards me, because today, Lord, I fear you. And I understand, God, that as far as east is from west, so will you remove these transgressions from me today. And as my Father, as you show compassion to your children, Lord God, I thank you that you're showing compassion to me as your son today because I fear you and you have compassion on those who fear you. I thank you today, Father, for you know my frame. You remember that I am just but dust. Thank you today, Father, for your forgiveness and your cleansing in Jesus' name. Now that right there is God's cleansing method and a great, simple, easy, heartfelt prayer to pray when you're in that situation of missing the mark of stumbling and sinning. See, God has determined what is true. God has determined what is false. He's determined what is right. He's determined what is wrong. He's determined what is good and determined what is bad. He's our all-good, all-wise creator who wants the best for his creation. And with all the joy and all the victory that there is in the Christian walk, there's also sin and there's stumbling and there's falling and there's yielding to temptation and there's missing the mark. So I, 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 ta- I, I, I close with these simple words. Confess your sin. Please confess your sin. Confess early, confess often, and confess fully. Tell God, you're absolutely right, God, and I am absolutely wrong. No one else is to blame. I messed up. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And as I close, may I bring something to you that's really, really important. When you when you mess up, don't be what I call a shift blamer. Don't blame it on somebody else. You're the one that yielded to the temptation. You're the one that sinned. You're the one that acted on it. You're the one that chose to do it. No one can make you do it but yourself. So make sure you always take the blame upon yourself. No one else is to blame. I messed up, God. I'm sorry. Please forgive me today. You know, God is committed then to forgive. He's committed to cleanse. And he, he will enable you today, child of God, to enjoy the freedom that comes from being forgiven and cleansed. It's an awesome life to live. You will stumble. You will mess up. And you will fall. But God is there to pick you back up again and put you on your way. So if you sin, if you mess up, know that your Father's there. Confess it early, often, and always, and fully, and know that God will forgive you. He will cleanse you, and He will pick you back up and send you on your way to do great things for the kingdom. Praise God. I I hope you learned today what happens and what do you do when you stumble and you fall. And again, we all will, but it's what we do after we sin and after we miss the mark that is a defining moment of your life. So confess early, confess quick, but know once you do from your heart, there's going to be forgiveness and there's going to be cleansing. 
God loves you today and know that he loves you deeply and all he wants is the best for you. He wants the best life possible for you. He wants you to be blessed. He wants to provide, but he wants you to live a life of fullness and victory, fullness of purpose and fullness of destiny. He wants you to know that that every day you wake up, he's got a plan for you to do something great in the world that you live in. He made you for a purpose and he made you for a reason. So don't let sin and don't let stumbling pull you back. Don't be over don't let guilt pull you down and keep you from wanting to move on. Just recognize what you did, confess it, and let God cleanse you and let God forgive it. Thank you for joining us today on this podcast. We pray that you were inspired and encouraged. And until next time, remember to live all out for Jesus Christ. God bless you, and we'll see you next time.